Funded by the State Library of Western Australia, this collection of stories documents experiences of the COVID-19 pandemic that hit Australia in early 2020. The COVID-19 pandemic led to the declaration of a state of emergency in Western Australia on the 16th of March. WA went into lockdown between the months of March to May, with further restrictions continuing for months after. During this time, events were cancelled, schools shut down and parks became overcrowded. Thousands of individuals, businesses, communities and organisations were severely impacted as they were forced to work from home, social distance and book emergency flights. This collection, produced by the Centre for Stories in Northbridge, Western Australia, explores these unprecedented effects and contributes a record of this remarkable time in history. This interview features Anna Arabin and Kesson. Anna is a professor at Princeton University. When the pandemic hit the world, Anna and her husband retreated to WA's southwest. I'm Anna Arabin and Kesson, and I'm currently living in Australia in the southwest of WA. So I decided to go back to university after working as a nurse for several years, um, mostly because I had always wanted to do something in the humanities. I tried out a lot of different areas of nursing and realised that it wasn't something I wanted to continue with. By the end of the four years um, of my BA, I realised that I just really loved what I was setting. I was setting out history and history, looking at the relationship between uh, visual culture and constructions of race and histories of empire. And really on a whim, I decided to apply to universities in the US. And um, I think I applied to 10 different colleges and I got into a few of them and the, my kind of dream um, program um, was at Yale and I got into that. And so my husband and I decided, okay, so we're going to, the, to America and, and that's really what we did. So we arrived in New Haven in Connecticut. It was also just before President Obama was elected. So I think for the first six months, we just felt like we were on a movie set all the time. It's just not something that I was used to growing up in Auckland and, and Perth. Yeah, on the night of President Obama's election in 2008, we were at uh, several parties, but it was a really jubilant um, night full of lots of dancing and lots of happiness. And yeah, so it was, it was a good night. So we moved in the middle of 2012 and uh, we moved from we moved from Brooklyn, and just to give you a sense of what Brooklyn was like, the first week that we were in Brooklyn, someone was murdered down the, you know, down the end of the street. But then the other side of the street was, you know, there were these new restaurants opening, like every other weekend. So it was just this, you know, crazy, um, but incredible space to be. And we literally we moved to a village in the middle of Cambridgeshire, just outside of London. So it was like going from you know, sex in the city to midsummer murders. So in 2014, I got this job at Temple University in the art history department. In August 2014, a young black man, Michael Brown, was shot by a policeman, um, Daryl Wilson, in Ferguson, Missouri. And this was really a catalyst for what we now know as a Black Lives Matter movement. Um, teaching students about these histories and the ways um, that these histories have shaped the creation of art and visual culture in the U.S. seemed very urgent. What it said about 
the meaninglessness and the expendability of certain people in society um, and just kind of how futile it felt to even be trying to work against this in my department. I couldn't talk about this with people. It didn't even seem like it mattered. Um, I applied for and, and got this job at Princeton University and where I was hired as a historian of uh, black diaspora art and a historian of African-American art. I, have, I only have to teach what I want to teach. 2015 was very different to th 2008. That optimism, that hope um, was no longer there that you know there was I think the precarity of being a person of color in the U United States was becoming heightened by 2015 and the vulnerability um, that was associated not with not just with being a person of color but with you know with just daily life in the U.S. you know not having if you didn't have health insurance people were you know dying because of that you know I think we started to think okay <laughs> How long can we stay here despite, despite the job, which, you know, is a dream job, but how long can we, can we do this for? Um, I was teaching this really great new class. It was on art and colonial medicine in the British Empire. It was most exciting thing was that I had organised this wonderful trip, because it's Princeton, to London for a week. Um, we were going to leave on March the 14th, I think, um, we start getting these emails that, you know, you can't travel here, you can't travel there. It got to a week before the trip and Princeton still hadn't laid down any guidelines about whether we should go or not. So a couple of my colleagues had their class trips cancelled. You know, we had someone from the um, administration come and speak to my class and she was like, well, you know, we don't want to we want, don't want to stop you having your experiences overseas. And I was like, yes, but there's this virus. So I explained to my students, look, I can't take the risk. I made the decision on the Friday. On the Monday, we get to class and suddenly I'm getting told by students that the university's going online for two weeks and it's closing down. And faculty, of course, were not told this before students. <laughs> so we were like, oh, I'm not saying this to criticise the university, but just to highlight how quickly things escalated and my students lost family they were had to look after people with COVID everyone had you had to just be really careful and not see anyone and we felt very alone very quickly you just wouldn't know what would have what would be happening then from one day to the next and I remember there was one news cycle where some anti-maskers they basically stormed a, a city capital building and you know to protest these restrictions and I remember getting a text from my dad who you know he's pretty he wasn't panicking but he was just like it sounds really bad over there I know you're thinking about trying to come back to Australia but maybe you should think about coming back earlier in the middle of mid, mid to end of May we booked our tickets June the 9th we left on the plane all of the stewards were in hazmat suits I mean, we were exhausted. The kids were exhausted. So, yeah, it just felt like, okay, we're here. <sighs> you know, and the nurse came up on the Friday to give us our papers. Because they didn't call us. They just came up with our papers and we were like, oh, can we go? She was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's all clear. I was just skipping up and down out of the hallway, like shouting. And like, you know, <laughs> my husband was just like, oh, my gosh. And then we went outside um, and it was just a glorious Perth afternoon 
And we walked down to Elizabeth Key and I saw my brothers for the first time in two years and hugged them and, you know, it was just joyous. So, so we were walking down to Elizabeth Key and my son, Augie, who's seven, says to me, Mama, do we have to socially distance here? Can I, can I walk close to people? And I said, no, we don't have to socially distance, not in Perth. Thank you for listening. For more information about the Centre for Stories, head to our website, centreforstories.com.